Record number of African migrants are arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, there's many reasons why this is kind of strange out of place. First, with all of the changes Donald Trump has made to immigration, notably security, cost increases, and other rule changes like remain in Mexico, for instance, immigration is down across the board. In fact, many of the people from Central America who came to the U.S.-Mexico border to seek asylum were told to remain in Mexico and then ultimately went home or just left because they didn't want to. Now we're hearing about refugees from Africa, places like Cameroon or Angola, flying across the Atlantic Ocean, traveling from South America through Central America and up to the U.S.-Mexico border to try and gain entry to the U.S. It seems out of place because the journey is so arduous and long. They're literally on the other side of the planet. If it was truly about being a refugee, you'd think they'd go to any one of the safe and beautiful countries in South America instead of trying to make their way to the U.S. border. But I think there's, there's one thing we can look at that, well, there's a couple things. First, I mean, America's awesome. Of course, they'd rather be here than, say, Mexico or Brazil. But, I mean, Mexico's a pretty rad place. Brazil's a pretty rad place. But the other big, the, the big issue, I think, that is often overlooked, or maybe not, is that the U.S., the southern border was ignored and left porous for a very long time. I think you can extrapolate from the data tracking immigration apprehensions that under Obama, it was extremely lax. Perhaps it's not that we're facing a record number of African migrants now. Perhaps the number's actually down. Perhaps what we're really seeing is that with the increase in security, we can now track the number of migrants coming to the border. And we were unable to in the past, which is kind of scary. But again, that's my assumption. So let's do this. Let's start with this story from the LA Times of the record number of African migrants. And then we'll move through here and look at how the Trump administration is actually one on the immigration front. But we'll also take a look at how immigration was under Obama. And I'll, and I'll tell you what I think. We'll, we'll expand upon this idea of we're actually just tracking these numbers now. Maybe they're going down. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There are several different options to, to support, but the best thing you can do is just share this video. I'm competing with all these big networks right now. They're screeching about impeachment, but you know what? We're not learning anything new. So if you think I do a good job, you like what I have to say, or you think there's value in other people hearing it, sharing this is one of the most effective ways to help me continue doing what I do. But let's read. The LA Times reports, the number of migrants from African countries in Mexico who have had contact with Mexican immigration officials has increased from 460 in 2007 to more than 5,800 in 2019. Right there. We can see how how we can explain this. Who have had contact with Mexican immigration officials? Perhaps the number is steady or going down. And it's just that Mexico wasn't tracking these people before until Trump got serious. Or these people were making it through the porous border and no one was tracking them. And now that we have increased security, we can see these people are traveling halfway around the world to enter this country. Let's read. The number of African migrants heading to the U.S. through Mexico has more than doubled this year from roughly 2,700 in 2018 to 5,800 today, according to data from the federal government. That figure has been steadily rising since 2007, the year the Mexican government began including migrants from African countries who have contact with immigration officials in their annual migration reports, when that number was 460. And that dramatic increase has been mostly left out of the U.S. immigration conversation, activists say. Quote, even with the immigration movement, you see a lack of visibility of black narratives with what is happening at the border, said Gerlene Yosef, director and co-founder of the Haitian Bridge Alliance, an organization that helps black migrants from all over the world. 
Yosef was initially caught off guard by the number of black migrants south of the border. In 2016, she didn't know how to respond to a call she got about a group of Haitian migrants in Tijuana. She couldn't understand why they were in Tijuana instead of in Florida, the more traditional migration route for Caribbean migrants. Notably, Haitians are not African. I'll I'll make sure that point is clear. At the time, honestly, I did not believe it, she said. But she went anyway and met with 12 Haitian migrants. She stayed a month and counted more than 400 black migrants from not just Haiti, but Congo, Cameroon, and Sierra Leone as well. Now, almost four years later, we have thousands and thousands of black migrants. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to paraphrase Bernie Sanders. You see, earlier this year, he was asked if he would be for open borders, if he would open up the borders. And Bernie Sanders said, no, the world has too many poor people. We can't help them all. Now he's flip-flopped a little bit, talking about deportations and, and a moratorium and such. But that's what Bernie Sanders said. And you know what? He was right. The United States cannot just allow every single person to come here. We want to have a refugee process for people who, are in truly, who truly are in need and need to be saved. But I got to tell you, if you're from Congo, Cameroon, Angola, Sierra Leone, and you're traveling halfway around the world with stopping over in many places that are safe and comfortable, I don't believe it's truly about escaping a crisis as opposed to coming to one of the wealthiest and most comfortable nations and one of the freest nations. And so it's really interesting to hear all of these activists talk about the great problems the U.S. faces, how bad Trump is, yet you still see people risking their lives, traveling the world desperate to come here with all the stories about the migrant detention centers and how bad they are. They are still trying to come here. That says something. Let's read on. The overwhelming number of people who travel through Mexico to get to the U.S. continue to be from Central America. The journey isn't easy. Many of them are robbed and beaten while traveling north. On top of these dangers, African migrants face additional obstacles in terms of language and cultural barriers. They also have less access to services from legal aid organizations who do not have staff who speak the same language as the migrants. They also face racism and discrimination because of the color of their skin, Yosef added. This summer, the migrants faced a new obstacle at the Mexico-Guatemala border. They are being prevented from reaching the U.S. border, according to activists on the ground. In August, the Mexican government stopped issuing African migrants transit visas that allow them to travel north of the border with the United States. Instead, officials are asking migrants to apply for residency or a visa in Mexico, which advocates, uh, which, which advocates fear could potentially jeopardize future asylum claims in the United States. I'm sorry, man. Now, you may disagree, but I do not respect an asylum claim from someone who traveled halfway around the world and passed through several safe states, safe countries to get here. Mexico is nice. There are dangerous parts, but it is a very nice country. You've clearly never been there. Like the people who disagree, I'm saying Brazil is incredible. Brazil is beautiful. They got their problems, but Brazil really is pretty. There's amazing places. In fact, I got to say there are some, you know, you've got Bolivia, you've got Colombia, not the wealthiest, not, 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 not necessarily the safest, but safe, enjoyable, comfortable. I'm sorry. If you're going to cross the Atlantic into Brazil and reject Brazil's hospitality, I'm not sure I believe you're truly trying to flee some kind of crisis. I think it's just about improving your life, you know, finding a wealthier nation. And I can respect that, but I can also, but but you're also going to have to respect that there are citizens here who contribute to our, our, our comfortable and wealthy nation. And that many people want to take advantage of that. When you come here and claim it's about asylum, you are taking advantage of our hospitality and you are displacing 
those who truly need our help. That's the big problem and why African migrants stand out so much more than anyone from Central America. Because I'll tell you this, people who come from Honduras, Guatemala, I'm listening. You come to Mexico and say, we can't stay here because the gangs operate here too. I hear you. You get to the US border. All right. You're a neighbor to the South, you know, but these people are coming from Africa, man. I mean, Europe is closer than the United States, but for some reason they want to come here. So let me, let me show you this because it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of news around this that's kind of been neglected because impeachment, uh, uh, the impeachment insanity. This story, lawmakers visit African migrants at U.S.-Mexico border from November 26th, only got 46 shares. So this is being covered. Nobody's talking about it. But I tell you now, I'm willing to bet this video gets substantially less views than impeachment nonsense. But you know what? I've had enough. <laughs> this is important, Okay. When it comes to impeachment, they're telling us the same nonsense we've heard a million times. I don't want to hear it, okay? Let's see what's going on. Now, the reason I highlight this is specifically for this passage. Now, now obviously, it's mostly Democrats, and it's the Congressional Black Caucus who are meeting with these African migrants, but, but, but uh, the Hill reports. Most of the migrants stranded at the port of entry came from Cameroon, a majority French-speaking country where a simmering civil war is in its English-speaking regions, in its uh, English-speaking regions, has forced more than half a million people from their homes, according to the International Crisis Group. Mexico has long been a host to third-country migrants seeking entry to the U.S., but the number of African migrants in the country is growing as routes into Europe become more dangerous, according to multiple media reports. They say most of these migrants are coming from Cameroon. So I decided to pull up a map, and now I'm going to show you just how far away it truly is. So let me ask you, what is the most dangerous? Is it more dangerous to go to any one of these other countries in Africa nearby or to travel across the Atlantic into Brazil to make your way up all the way through all of these other countries? And I tell you this, the people who are coming here from Cameroon, I mean, maybe they fly to Mexico, but many of the stories that we've covered in the past that I've covered in the past about, say, Angola, for instance, people coming from the Congo, they're traveling from the Congo through Angola into Brazil and then up through South and Central America. But these countries like Honduras and Guatemala have migrants fleeing their own countries there because it's dangerous. So I tell you this, man, these people who are claiming it's, it's too dangerous to go to Europe when they literally travel through countries where people are fleeing because it's too dangerous to then try and come here. I don't believe it. I don't. Now, it's not for me to decide. It's for the U.S. immigration system to decide. But you know what? They're telling these people they have to remain in Mexico because unfortunately they don't really believe it either. And there's now a new, a new rule being put in place by Trump that if you pass through a safe third country on your way here, you will be ineligible. And you know what? That makes sense. It does not make sense for someone to come to Brazil. I've been to Brazil several times and I, and I, and I assure you, you should definitely go there. It is awesome. Brazil is an amazing place. It's beautiful. It's got amazing tourist spots. So, so it's, 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 I think the reason it's so crazy to me is because I, I would prefer to go there, right? Like I go, I would go, there, I would go vacation there. And it's crazy that so many people would want to go to, you know, to Rio, to Copacabana, Sao Paulo and enjoy Brazil and their food. And there are people f like going through there, but then saying, this is not good enough for us. Man, we want to go there. I know Americans who move there permanently. It's not the wealthiest nation, but Brazil's nice. I mean, there's also Argentina and Uruguay. And Paraguay, this place is near Brazil, but for some reason, it's always the United States. And I think it's obvious. We're wealthy. So let's do this. I think you can see on the map, there's Cameroon highlighted in red. It's a big journey. Take a look at these numbers from the Texas Tribune, though. 
They say apprehension soared during the Clinton and Bush administrations, but fell under Obama. Since 1999, the highest number of apprehensions recorded was in March 2000 during Bill Clinton's presidency, when 220,000 migrants were apprehended. The surge in apprehensions in the summer of 2019 was much smaller, but it came close to spikes during George W. Bush's presidency. Here's the big problem. We track illegal immigration by how many people are apprehended. That means if someone says don't apprehend them or doesn't provide the resources to actually stop illegal immigration, the numbers will drop. You see how this works? There's a, there's a really funny shower thought. If you're familiar with shower thoughts, it says, if we, uh, if we abolish all criminal law, cr- the, crime rate, the crime rate will drop to zero. Yes, because if nothing is illegal, then you can't arrest anybody. And then the amount of arrest and crime will be nothing. But there will certainly be horrible things happening, happening to people. Take a look at this. During Bush and Clinton, major spikes in apprehensions. During Obama, a major decline. Now, they do note that in 2014, there was an uptick. The problem is this may be because migrants aren't coming or because Obama was not prioritizing apprehensions. Now, it's also true. They called Obama the deporter in chief. So maybe I really doubt, excuse me, that Obama wanted to take flack for deporting so many people. If anything, he'd be better off stopping them at the border instead of deporting them because people are, are dragging Joe Biden over this. But we can see it dropped to its lowest as we enter the Donald Trump era, just after, uh, um, just uh, during the Obama, uh, Obama's ter- administration, the number dips, Trump gets in and the number, number spikes back to previous George W. Bush levels. So again, I think what we're seeing here may be more easily explained in Obama not enforcing border security. I almost, I almost want to say, you know, maybe not because I know many Democrats during the Obama administration had voted for border security, but it could just be that they were not apprehending people. So you got to make sure you're tracking that. Is it possible that the number of apprehensions are going down now under Trump because they've stopped apprehending people? I mean, it doesn't mean people aren't coming. So here's what I think. I think for the longest time, our government ignored African migrants. And now that Trump is enforcing these stricter rules, and I'll show you the data. I mean, you know it, but I can show you it's working. We're now seeing those numbers for the first time. And it looks like they're much higher, may actually be lower. But, but I will also, look, I understand it's really hard to, underst- to, to extrapolate or to know for sure what the data means. It's also entirely possible the spike is due to many of these migrants trying to make it to Europe. But now Europe is cracking down with the rise of the, of the right-wing populist movements, people in, say, Italy and France saying no more to this immigration. And with the slave trade in Libya, many of these people are saying it's bet- you're better off going to the United States. That may be as well. But first, let me show you this. In an article from the Huffington Post talking about how Trump really did get his wall, they call it his figurative wall, they say, in the two years after Trump took office, denials for H-1B visas, the most common form of visa for skilled workers, more than doubled. In the same period, wait times for citizenship also doubled, while average processing, uh, processing times for all kinds of visas jumped by 46%. Even as the quantity of applicant applications went down in 2018, the United States added just 200,000 immigrants to the population, a startling 70% less than the year before. You may have seen that the job numbers are really good. It's also true that H-1B visas are being denied. I believe there's a correlation there. A lot of companies want to hire international skills. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, international talent. Trump, the the Trump administration is denying that, which means you got to hire American. 
The American unemployment goes down. The economy does well. Consumer confidence surges. That may be a result. But let's check out. We got a story from just today. Check this out. Arrests and removals of illegal immigrants up under Trump, a majority convicts. So I, I don't want to, I don't need to get into too much about this, uh, th- these details. It's a very short story. But the key takeaway is the people that Trump is targeting right now, they say are, are majority convicted criminals. Let's read. They say in comparing the targeting of illegal immigrants under Obama and President Trump, the government accountability office found that more were grabbed by the, by the GOP administration and that a majority were convicted criminals. The reason that that bit is important is because Joe Biden took flack and he continues to take flack over the Obama administration's deportation of 3 million people. He says, don't compare what we did to Donald Trump. Biden says, under me, we're going to be targeting criminals and we're going to prioritize this. Well, at least according to the government accountability office, it seems like the GOP may be targeting more convicted criminals than the Obama administration did. But it's not just the hard security and rules Trump is implementing. One of the big reasons people aren't coming is kind of obvious. The consequences are scarier than the reality. Check this out. CBS News reports, consequences causing major drop in number of migrant families and kids at border. Perhaps the reason Donald Trump implemented these rules was not just because you could actually enforce them, enforce the laws and apprehend people, but that if people knew the enforcement was happening, they would be disincentivized from taking dangerous journeys. Take a look at this. I now want to show you this map one more time. Look how long this journey is from Cameroon to, the, to South America, up through all of these dangerous countries. Now, now look, you got Honduras, you got Guatemala. Even people who live there say it's dangerous, they want to come to the United States. The, one of the smartest things we can do is disincentivize this behavior. Now, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of Trump's policies, and I really do not agree with the idea that cruelty would be a good way to, to demotivate people from coming here. But I will say it seems to be the case. Whether or not it was Trump's intention to create the press around squalor and these horrifying conditions, it, it exists. And I assure you, with these stories about people not making it, you know, dying, and children, there's probably a lot of families that are now being disincentivized, saying it, the risk is greater than the reward. You're not going to make it, in which case they don't. But let me read a little bit here. They say, uh, CBS News says, U.S. border officials in October apprehended more than 35,000 migrants, including nearly 10,000 families and 3,000 unaccompanied migrant children along the U.S.-Mexico border, marking the fifth consecutive monthly decline in arrests there. CBP officials said Thursday, single adult migrants comprise the bulk of those apprehended at nearly 23,000 arrests in fiscal year 2019. CBP officials said about 65% of migrants encountered at the southern border were families and unaccompanied children. In October, those populations constituted about 35% of all apprehensions. So now the reason I highlight this is I want to compare it back to that chart I just showed you. Right now, under Trump, there was a massive spike in apprehensions, but it's dropped in October. They're saying, according to CBS, or the officials are saying, the reason that's dropped is not because they aren't enforcing, but because less people are coming over fear of the consequences. And that was one of the major goals of the Trump administration, at least purportedly. It's possible during the Obama administration, they weren't apprehending anybody. So not only are the, are the numbers hard to track or extrapolate from? We're having a ton of migrants come in, less enforcement, more deportations. It seems like it may be the case that we just weren't tracking these numbers pro- properly. Trump, according to every media outlet, is getting stricter on how they apprehend and, and the rules they're putting in place. So it stands to reason 
that these may be the real numbers that we're now finally seeing with more security, with more ICE and CBP actually apprehending and tracking and talking to these people, we're getting a better view of what's happening. And it may be that the Huffington Post is correct, that Trump did get his wall with immigration down across uh, across you know all, all, all metrics from illegal to even legal, H-1B visas, etc. Trump really did get his wall. And I think I think that's the best way I can put it. So, so let me wrap this up for you guys. I don't know why we're seeing a record number of African migrants, but I think you 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 would be unsurprised to find Americans maybe un uh, you know untrusting, not not trusting of these individuals coming here claiming to be migrants because of how dangerous the trip is. So I I, I end by wrapping this all together. If the consequences of the new administration are causing migrants to not want to come to this country, okay. But these people are still trying to come amid all of the dangers and amid these new rules. It stands to reason, in my opinion, they're not really refugees. They're not people who know that if they stay, look, listen, the trip here is so dangerous and the rules are so strict, they would probably be better off staying somewhere else. So I guess it's fair to say maybe it's that bad in their country. But here's why I don't believe that. Because they could, like I said, Brazil is nice. And I, and I really mean that. I love that place. If they could stay in Brazil and avoid the perilous journey and the conflicts at home, you'd think that would make sense, but they don't do it. So that's why that's I got to say, in, in my opinion, I don't necessarily trust these people coming here claiming to be refugees. But you know what? It doesn't matter. My opinion is irrelevant. What matters is what law enforcement officials determine. And if they say they're not really migrants, they'll get rejected. And if they're passing through safe third countries where they could be safe, but choose not to, then the administration is going to turn them away. So I'll, I'll leave it there. You let me know what you think. You know, I, I don't want to ascribe motives to, to a lot of these people. I know America's nice. I'm an American. It's a great country. And even with all of the negative press and the fear mongering and the outrage from the left, these people are still desperate to come here. You know what? I can empathize with that. I love this country too, man. But we cannot take in everybody. Just not possible. Let me know what you think. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastnews, and I will see you all then. You ever notice that the establishment press, the mainstream media's narrative, often aligns with state interests? Fox News doesn't follow this trend, you know, for some reason, and they hate Fox News for this. Fox is an outlier. Now we can see how this actually trickles into social media, running in much the same way. Fox and Friends host Pete Hegseth is banned from Twitter after sharing anti-American manifesto of the Pensacola, Pensacola shooter. It goes beyond just Pete Hegseth because apparently shortly after, we have this one from the post-millennial, Mike Cernovich and Andy No were also suspended from Twitter. Now, my, now Pete Hegseth said he was banned my understanding is that Hegseth was suspended and he was forced to delete this tweet. Now, Pete Hegseth, I wouldn't necessarily call a journalist, but he is a media, news, and politics personality. He's a host of, uh, he's one of the co-hosts of Fox and Friends. So for him to use a high-profile account to share important information, I think is warranted. We're here. We're, uh, we're, we're literally at the point where social media companies are banning journalists. You might not like Andy No or Mike Cernovich or Pete Hegseth, but come on. They're disseminating factual information about relevant matters. It's, I can't say it's strange to me that we have a Saudi national who committed an act of terror 
And now when people try to point that out, they get suspended for it. It's very dangerous to the American war machine. You see, it's not, it's not so difficult today to criticize the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, Syria. Don't question Saudi Arabia, though. My understanding, too, is that there's a Saudi prince who has a, uh, a substantial investment into Twitter as well. But I don't, I don't know. I guess that doesn't matter, as people say. So let, let, let me read you the story from uh, the post-millennial. And uh, man, I'll just tell you, you know, it's, it's, it's getting bad. For those that didn't follow, after the uh, uh, whistleblower story from the Ukraine scandal, his name was going around. The name was dropped. I had a video on YouTube deleted. Uh, I should say it was forced private, meaning YouTube locks it so that no one can see it. Can't do anything about it. The video's gone. Yeah, I can repost it, but the YouTube algorithm will punish me if I do. So no, that's not a good idea. The video's just gone. It's on BitChute, I'm pretty sure. I also was suspended from Facebook for posting the Politico article that was saying straight up, it is a good thing that the New York Times outed the whistleblower. We're at this point now where unless you're an establishment player in the press, they'll, they'll just ban you. And, and, Pete, and Fox doesn't count, as we can see. There's a lot more I want to cover, but I want to give you this, this important information first. And um, apologies again to everybody. Um, I know I said it several times, but it, it bears repeating. I had a root canal recently, and painkillers don't seem to do anything. So they say, following the Pensacola Navy base shooting having been deemed a terror attack, Multiple journalists and media personalities have been suspended from Twitter for reporting details on the shooter. Filmmaker Mike Cernovich, the post-millennial editor-at-large Andy No, and Fox host Pete Hegseth are among those who have been suspended from Twitter for utilizing the, the uh, they say utilizing the manifesto, but that's not true. My understanding is that Mike Cernovich and Andy No tweeted links to stories about it. They say both Cernovich and Hegseth were suspended for posting excerpts, okay, so there you go, of, this, of, of, of his social media which included disturbing posts indicating the shooting was motivated by anti-American and anti-Israel sentiments. Now, my understanding as well, this, this guy in Pensacola tweeted these things out. So perhaps Twitter is terrified that people are going to find out this was hosted on their platform. They might get the gab treatment. Andy Noah was suspended pending he delete a tweet, which included a copy of the manifesto, the copy of it, which was made public by sight a non-governmental organization that monitors white supremacist and jihadist terror. They say, while Cernovich's account was restored following the removal of the offending tweet, Pete Hegseth and Andy Noe's accounts remain suspended. Appeals unresponded to by Twitter as of yet. According to the Twitter terms of service, promoting or providing media intended to further a terror organization's goals is a violation of the platform's policies, leading to an immediate permanent suspension, even for verified journalists. Take that into consideration. I'm going to show you just how bad things truly are. However, the terms of service also state the discussion of terrorism for clearly educational or documentary purposes does not constitute a violation. Why then did Twitter remove these journalists? They say, update, a Twitter spokesperson responding to the post-millennial advised that Cernovich, No, and Hegseth had been suspended for posting the manifesto. However, neither Cernovich nor Hegseth's tweets included the manifesto. Twitter declined to answer any further questions on the justification for their suspensions. You know, I think I can tell you exactly why, you know, well, I can't tell you exactly why. I'll tell you, I'll speculate. For one, this guy used Twitter. I think Twitter is terrified of the, of the PR hit and the stock drop. So they're going to ban journalists outright. Welcome to, welcome to our new future, man. You're not, journalism is being strangled by these big networks, by Google, by Facebook, by Twitter, etc. 
These companies are playing ball to get access. And now we have, we have a media that I guess you could just call bought and paid for. Not in the sense that someone from Twitter or the government walked into those, you know, you know, those, those news outlets and handed them cash or anything like that. Although maybe, I don't know. Uh, what we have is if you tow the line of what the, you know, the intelligence services and the establishment, you know, politicians want, you're good. You're absolutely good. When you challenge the machine, when you challenge the establishment, or when you threaten the bottom line, you're out. I want to show you a post I made on Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, go ahead and do it. I don't post that often, but sometimes I do. And when I do, they're spicy. Check this out. Same screen, different movie. I believe that is attributed to Scott Adams. Very brilliant quote. On the left, you can see a Benny Johnson tweet, as retweeted by Sebastian Gorka. Uh, Benny Johnson is a conservative uh, personality. I believe he's a journalist. I don't want to, uh, I, don't, I don't like giving people titles, trying to describe people. Sorry. John Harwood, CNBC reporter. You may notice these two tweets are about the exact same thing. The only problem, they say exact opposite things. This is very similar to another post that was going viral with the two TV screens where C- uh, CBS said that Gordon Sondland confirms quid pro quo, which is f- factually wrong. And Fox News saying, Sondland confirms no quid pro quo. The reality is Gordon Sondland said he presumed one. He did not confirm one. Confirmation technically would require three sources. And just because one person says, I felt like it was, doesn't provide proof it was. On the left, Benny Johnson says, Ted Cruz nukes conspiracy theorist DNC activist Chuck Todd. Chuck, Ukraine was trying to get Hillary Clinton elected, which is what the media wanted. Ukraine meddling is inconvenient for your narrative. Dems have no evidence of a crime. Now you're working for Adam Schiff. On the right is John Harwood of CNBC, which is supposed to be the trustworthy establishment press. Ted Cruz disseminating propaganda fabricated by the Kremlin to weaken the United States. Mainstream press, MSNBC, CNBC, and many other journalists, you know, CNN, are claiming the Ukraine narrative is Kremlin propaganda. The only problem is they wrote it. They wrote it, now they regret it, and they've got to walk it back. So look, I, I told you about what happened with Hegseth and, you know, Cernovich getting banned. They are going to ban people because it is inconvenient for what they want. The establishment, media, and, and Democrats seem to be one and the same. Here's what I posted. Journalists right now are literally screaming at us not to trust them. The story about Ukraine meddling was from the New York Times. Were they pushing Kremlin propaganda? Or are they lying now? Either way, these journalists are screaming in our faces, quote, do not trust the press. Let me, let, me, let me elaborate on this. The New York Times reported in December of 2018 that a Ukraine court uh, concluded, ruled that Ukrainians were meddling in our election by releasing dirt on, on Trump campaigns, Paul Manafort, forcing him to resign, ultimately resulting in him going to prison. I believe he went to prison. Um, so this is the New York Times telling us this. We all saw it. Now they're trying to gaslight us. They're trying to say, don't believe it. It's fake news. But you were the one who told us this, man. We can't go on this way. We can't. I tell you what, eventually we, we, we are going to be in, in a world where only people like John Harwood, these, these deceitful uh, liars are, are, you know, of confirmed press. We're going to see people like even Fox News personalities like Pete Hegseth getting banned, suspended for telling you what really happened. See, I think the big problem with what No, Cernovich, and, and Hegseth posted, more importantly, was that this guy in Pensacola was a Saudi national. 
I'm probably this, this, this video. Will probably, I wouldn't be surprised if this video gets a strike on it. They do not want to jeopardize our strategic alliance with Saudi Arabia. You can you can talk. You know, Trump comes out all day and night and says the war in Iraq and Afghanistan was a waste of money. And then and then what? Gives money and weapons, troops, Saudi Arabia. We can see how the game is played. It is very very important that the U.S. remain allies with with the Saudis. And because of this, that's what that, that's 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 what happens. They'll ban you. When it comes, you know, when, when this information comes out. Now, the problem is we still got to deal with these people. You know, what happened in Florida was nightmarish. And we've got to deal with him and his friends and the other people who are doing these, committing these atrocities. If you're a journalist who wants to report on that, and it could be damaging to the war machine, they will pull out all stops. But I will add, they're, they're, they are truly, truly becoming desperate. You know, what we're seeing from Adam Schiff, and I'm not saying they're all one and the same. I'm just saying, the Democrats and, and the war machine have an aligned interest. You know, it's, it's the establishment. And I think it's more like this. You know, you have people, oh, man, my eye. Sorry, eyelash. You have people who just want the keys to the castle. These are politicians who will do and say whatever it takes to win so they can sit in the comfy ivory tower, have that money, be in charge. And that means they don't want to rock the boat. So when the, when the military established, you know, the military industrial complex, the intelligence agency says, says we're going to do X, they go, yeah, 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 do your thing. I don't care. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get involved in that. But there are some people who say no, and that's wrong, and we're going to stop you. There are some journalists who want to challenge that, put a stop to it. Well, they'll block you. They'll, they'll, they'll ban you. They'll smear you. They'll lie. It's, it's, it's actually a shocking, uh, a shocking level of deceit we're seeing here. It's, it's, it's remarkable to me in that the, the, the journalists themselves, Politico, The Hill, The Examiner, The New York Times, They've all repeated the Ukraine meddling narrative. Now that Republicans are on, are on board and saying, we got, we got to take care of this, and, they, and the Democrats and, and the media establishment are realizing it's hurting them, they flip. They start claiming their own reporting is not true. Politico has written two stories trying to debunk its own reporting, just retract it already. They can't. They can't because it's true. And we all know it's true. Now, did Ukraine engage in a top-down systematic manipulation of the U.S. elections? Of course not. But they're going to they're gonna straw man. So this is what Chuck Todd does. He says, you think that Ukraine meddled? <clears throat> and Russia didn't. He's, you catch that last part? He goes, Russia, you, you think Ukraine was meddling? And Russia wasn't. That's the game they play. Ukraine was meddling. Russia was meddling to a much more substantive degree from a top-down approach. And we know it. We know it. Um, I, I, I would say... It is, you know, I'm, I'm one to demand evidence from everybody, including the government. But we have more than enough evidence from uh, ha- admitted hackers, private companies, and the government, as well as, you know, uh, the news media, that shows in all likelihood, yeah, Russia was doing this, man. It was. Were they successful? According to the Mueller report, not really. They didn't have as big of an impact as many people want to believe they did. Ukraine had an impact. They got Paul Manafort locked up. I believe it was locked up. Uh, they, they had, they, he got him removed from the Trump campaign. So they did. There was damage caused. But to act like Ukraine was doing nothing now, you can clearly see that these, you know, Axios wrote the other day that Donald Trump is using this as a defense to claim there's corruption. And it's like, but, but it, was, it was the press that said this. So I'll tell you what, man, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, we can't trust them anymore. And, and I don't know where that leaves us. The press is bought and paid for. They're political operatives. Vice News announced they're hiring an Obama White House appointee to the press, a former Hillary Clinton staffer. There you go, man. It's depressing. 
I'm going to keep this one short. I'll wrap it up here. Um, man, um, I, I, I'll stress it again. I know you guys probably don't care to hear this, but, uh, you know, I got a root canal a few days ago, and it has been, it has been brutal, and today is, is, is pretty, pretty bad. So we'll see if I can make it through. Um, but uh, I apologize. Anyway, stick around. I'll see you all at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. The impeachment hearings are ongoing, and it is the stupidest waste of time I have ever, I've ever seen. They're basically just saying the same things over and over again. Donald Trump was trying to get personal gain, and I'm like, none of this is established. Then you got the Republicans trying to raise points of order, but I will, I will say one thing before getting into the story. Jerry Nadler got called out, okay? Here's what happens. They say a Republican raised, raised a, a point of order, the, the, the individual you know, uh, said something about Trump's motives, strike it from the record. Nadler goes, they're not witnesses. They're just staffers giving, you know, or, or, I'm sorry. He said, they're not, sta- they're not, they're just here as witnesses. They're not being held under the same rules as members. So then Nadler bangs gavel and he wins, right? Later on, he's asked why he didn't put them under oath. And he says, we will, but you know, they're, they're not witnesses, they're staffers. And so then one Republican guy's all like, wait a minute, hold on. You just said, they weren't held to the same rules as members and staffers, but now you're saying they're staffers, which is it? So he like bangs a gavel. And of course they do a roll call vote. All the Democrats are like, we're not going to, we're not going to follow the rules because they can just vote it out. So it's complete utter trash and nonsense. And I'll tell you what, for 4 PM, I ain't talking about, <laughs> I'm not going to be talking, I'm talking about immigration. All right. But I got to do it because Jay uh, Owen Schroyer, I believe I'm getting your name right, uh, just started protesting and yelling about how they reject this and everything. I found it funny because he's clearly protesting, but NBC calls him a heckler. Okay, fine. Technically the truth. Uh, Owen Schroyer was clearly protesting the impeachment hearings. Whether you want to uh, appreciate or, or criticize him for that is, is irrelevant. The fact is, protests like this happen. But I will tell you this, Mr. Schroyer, it doesn't matter. In fact, no, 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 no. You know what I'm going to do? I, I condemn. <laughs> I condemn uh, Schroyer, your, your protest. And I'll tell you why. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. But, but the joke is, polls are improving dramatically for Trump since the start of the impeachment process. So there's no reason to protest. I mean, it's literally helping your guy, right? Check this out. In the head-to-head, Biden versus Trump, Biden had the advantage until <laughs> impeachment. You know why? Because the impeachment is centered around Joe Biden's corruption. I mean, his son's corruption. But he's attached to this too. So I'll tell you what, Democrats, all you did was Streisand effect the Ukraine scandal. So the story about uh, Owen Schroyer, uh, you know, protesting, and he got, I, th- I think he got arrested. It's not that, it's, it's not, I don't know why it warrants this huge, huge story. But I, I will, I will, for those that didn't see the video of him doing it, you check it out. And he said, uh, Jerry Nadler and the Democrat Party are committing treason against this country. We voted for Donald Trump and they're simply removing him because they don't like him. You're the ones committing treason, Schroyer yelled. Trump is innocent. Schroyer was escorted out of the hearing room by officers less than 40 seconds after his tirade began. He had recorded the interruption and quickly uploaded it to Twitter after his removal. So I don't think he was arrested if he was able to upload it to, uh, to, to Twitter. Oh, 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 actually, I'm sorry. No, he was streaming. Obviously, I shouldn't have to remind everyone that the audience is here to observe and not to demonstrate. Eh, well, you know, I will say First Amendment protest you reap the consequences of your protest. I don't care who you are, left or right. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much on board with civil disobedience. Look, when, when the Extinction Rebellion people blocked intersections, 
My response was, I think it's ineffective and stupid, but I respect nonviolent civil disobedience. I, I really do. Okay. If you want to get out there and make sure that people hear who you are and what you're doing, well, you, it, it worked. Personally, I think it's ineffective because I actually worked for these nonprofits and I figured out, you know, the best ways to actually convince people of these issues. But I respect nonviolent civil disobedience. So in, in this re- regard, same as any other, other protest, hey man, more power to you. They removed him. There you go. He got to say what he wanted to say. They go on to then, I don't know, you know, I, I, whatever. He's Alex Jones, Infowars, et cetera, et cetera. They call him a heckler. Okay, come on, man. It's protesting. We get it. But here's, here's what's really, really funny about all this. I'm sorry I have to say this to you guys again, because literally every day, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say literally every day, there is some new story about how Trump is improving due to impeachment. Why? Just a couple of days ago, Andrew Yang, Democratic presidential candidate. Okay, he's actually doing pretty well. I think he's pulling like 6% now. He's doing great. I, li- I like the guy. I don't think he's perfect. I think he's got some things wrong. You know, I always say that because I want to make sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to be a zealot, but I, I got respect for Yang and he's doing, he's doing really, really well. But he came out and said, it seems like we're throwing rocks at Trump and all it's doing is leading him towards reelection. And I'm like, bravo, brother. That's exactly what they're doing. Look at this. So, so let me tell you something. One thing they have not done in any of this impeachment process is actually speak to the motives of Donald Trump. They haven't done it. Did anybody at any point so far ask any of the witnesses, has Donald Trump ever expressed fear about losing to Biden? That's a very broad question. No, he hasn't. Probably not because Trump's too arrogant. Trump goes around bragging like, I'm not going to lose to sleepy, creepy Joe. I'm the best. You think Trump would sit there going like, oh, geez, I'm going to lose to Biden. No, that's why they don't ask. They know. Trump isn't scared of losing to Biden. Did they ask? Did Trump ever look at the polls, which show Biden doing better than him and express any fear or discontent or concern? No, because Trump went out publicly and says, I beat Hillary. You think I'm scared of sleepy Joe Biden? Everybody like, look, man, I tell you what, in private, Trump's probably even worse than he is in public. This is the funny thing. They complain about Trump tweeting all this stuff. What do you think he's saying privately? You think he's scared of Biden? Oh, no, you got another thing coming, man. But I tell you what, there are real concerns about what happened with Hunter Biden and why he was getting $83,000 a month. So originally they said it was 50K and then they found more payments. So then it was, it was reported than 83K. And I guess uh, Hunter's response when asked was, you know, oh, well, it's been reported. You can look. And that's apparently substantially more, like 10 times more than what energy ex- uh, board members get in America. So it's, it, none of this adds up. There's apparently some Ukrainian official who said that, you know, look, or, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I think it was the president of Poland. I'm not sure who it was. You, you got to fact check me on this one because I don't have that pulled up. I want to talk about the polls. But, you know, apparently he was saying, listen, man, you hire Hunter Biden, you get access to the president. That's what it's all about. Everybody knows it. And then Joe Biden comes in and saves the day when, when, when you know, his son is in trouble. That's, that, that's how I see it, man. Listen, they're trying to gaslight. The media is trying to gaslight claim there was no Ukrainian uh, um, meddling. But the New York Times reported it. So you got to tell me, man, do I trust you or not? Because if you tell me not to trust you, well, then what, what, what am I supposed to do? Now, I'm not going to believe you now, right? Anyway, here's what happens. Trump hears about Biden corruption, makes a phone call, says, you know, look into this, see what's going on. That was it. Nothing ever happened. But the Democrats, in their desperation to impeach Trump, to get something, said, this is it, this is our chance. And so what they did was they took this little tiny molehill that probably would have never gone anywhere, which didn't go anywhere so far. 
and they announced it to the world. Joe Biden was accused of corruption by Donald Trump. All of a sudden, Joe Biden's polls are tanking. Look at this. Since the start of impeachment from September to December, Trump now has the lead. Isn't that amazing? And we can see, and I'm sorry, these are swing states, right? This is Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. These are, these are very, very important 2020 states. I got to imagine if Biden's the front runner, this will reflect in many of the polls. Now, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters are staunch Sanders supporters. They're there for Sanders. A lot of people are there to vote for or against Republican or Democrat. With this news, Joe Biden looking dirty, and he does. Okay, let me tell you, man, it looks like Joe Biden was scared for his son. And I understand that, but you got, you, you, put, you, you, put, you put country before family in some capacity, you know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll say this. I know a lot of people will put family before anything. I can respect that. But don't be surprised when your community, your country comes to you and says, I can respect you, save your kid. Now you're out. Okay, you're done. You know, we're going to investigate this. You can see that, you know, Biden's lead over Trump actually was diminishing up until September. But boy, did it nosedive. In fact, in Pennsylvania, it went up. Bill Maher said, I love this quote. He said, do I want Biden to be president? Not really. But he's the only one who beats Trump in Ohio. Okay, I hear you. Ohio's not on this list. But when it comes to Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, woo boy. (laughs) Impeachment just sacrificed the edge the Democrats had. That's impressive. They had an edge. They gave it up. And they're not going to impeach Trump. It's not going to happen. So what was this for? That's mind-blowing to me. Axios, who I'm mad at because they tried gaslighting said that they've all read it anyway. Quarterly polling by the Republican firm Firehouse Strategies with Optimus had President Trump struggling in the mega battlegrounds of Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Wisconsin. But in the newest edition, he beats every Democrat. Wow. The big picture. Trump won by an average of six points in hypothetical matchups against all current Democratic candidates, including Joe Biden, who was performing well in head-to-head contests against Trump in polling conducted earlier in the year. The poll found that a majority of likely 2020 voters surveyed do not support impeaching and removing Trump from office. What they're saying, Firehouse partner Alex Canant tells Axios, Democrats racing towards impeachment are at serious risk of leaving behind the voters they need to take the White House next year. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, boy, you know what, man? Uh, I'm just sitting back and I'm like, you know, I, 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 love, I love it when you get that chance to say, I told you so. They lose. Uh, uh, every Democrat loses Trump. Trump beats every single Democrat in the latest poll. That's what impeachment has wrought. What's funny is Axios the other day was slamming Ted Cruz and Republicans for, for accurately reflecting stories from the press, trying to claim that Ted Cruz is pushing conspiracy theories about Ukraine. Well, the polls don't lie. I mean, I'm kidding. The point is, though, the media wants us to trust them. They try to gaslight us. And now they have no choice but to report their own polling. Uh-oh. Trump is beating every Democrat in mega battleground states. You know, what's really funny is that in some of these states, Trump won by thin, thin margins against Hillary Clinton. I kid you not. We're talking like fractions of a percentage point. We're talking like thousands of votes out of the millions there. Now, six point lead in a hypothetical matchup against all current Democratic candidates, including Joe Biden, who before this, look at this in March 10 point lead over Trump. I tell you what, man. 
Oh, you reap what you sow. But I'm going to keep this one short today. It's going to be a little bit shorter because, boy, am I, am, I, am I hurting from this, uh, this root canal to say it for the billionth time. But you can probably tell. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. And it won't be about impeachment. Today's main segment, for those on the podcast who already heard it, it's going to be about immigration. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, that's, I'm it. that's it. It's, I'm watching this. It's so insane what they're doing. I swear to God, the Democrat council says the same, says, you know, Trump used the power of office to, to, to benefit himself. And then 10 minutes, 99, 10 minutes later, literally the same line. And then they start running clips from the, from the Adam Schiff hearings. And I'm like, dude, you know how these sitcoms would do a clip show where it's like at the end of the season, they would be like, remember that one time? And it would do a flashback and show you something you already saw. But it's just like a funny part of the show, not the whole show. It's literally what they're doing now. But we're, ser- we're seriously only on like episode seven of the impeachment process. And they're already doing clip shows. It's because they're out of content. Bad writers. And I mean that literally. The people who are supposed to be writing the pitch, the narrative, are not doing it because there's no evidence here. Look, man, there's conjecture. There's opinion. There's criticism of, of, of inappropriate actions, but is there hard evidence? No. And the Democrats didn't even ask for it. So now the writers are struggling. What's today's episode going to be about? Let's do a clip show about the past seven episodes. And then, of course, because they're rehashing all the same old things, Republicans rehash the same old talking points to counter them. I turned it off. And so you know what I said? I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go read something else. I'm going to block impeachment and read other news, but I, but I will end, I will end. Okay. I will end now by saying it was at least entertaining to see Owen Schroyer, you know, protest. I, I, I feel, I feel you, man. Like I'm so sick of the, uh, of, of the BS. I mean, you'll never see me do something like that. You know, I'm not a protester kind of person. But I, but I, but I can, I, I can sympathize. I can empathize, man. I'm so sick and tired of this. They've got, they've got nothing. And now they're literally rehashing clips from the last hearings. It's like, uh, it's, it, dude, if you got nothing else to say, but here's the problem. As, as professor, I believe professor Turley, was it? This is, this is like the shortest impeachment process in history because there's nothing. They're like, we, we found a piece of paper here. And it's like, and, and there's eight lines. Trump said, do us a favor though. Our country has been through a lot and we want to impeach him for that. And that's it. That's, there's, not, there's nothing else. Are you kidding? You realize then it's going to turn back on you later if you try and do this. They have nothing. So now here we are. Now Nadler, I'm, I'm, I'm just so tired of it. And you know what the worst part is? Because of this, the, the, the Twitterati globo journalism sphere is sitting around twiddling their thumbs going like impeachment impeachment. And I'm like, dude, nothing is happening, man. They're saying the same thing 50 million times. You know what, you know what is happening though? <laughs> Owen Schroyer's protesting. But I tell you why you don't need to, buddy, because Joe, uh, Trump is now beating every Democrat following the launch of the impeachment process. You want, you want to talk about backfiring? I'll see you guys at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm going to cut to the chase right away. At Art Basel in Miami, which is this foofy, wealthy art thing they do throughout the city, somebody stuck a banana on a wall with a piece of duct tape. You probably heard this. It sold for $120,000. Somebody then came in, took the banana, and ate it. This made a lot of people angry, but then someone else, but the, but the, the artist said, no, 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 it's the idea of the banana on the wall, and then said he was going to issue a, a certificate of authenticity to the buyer, and they put a different banana up on the wall. Somebody else then came in, 
took the, the banana down. I, I guess I took a, the, the banana down, but then they took it with lipstick and they wrote Epstein didn't kill himself. Then they got arrested, I guess, removed and security guards in what may be the most epic real life performance art I have ever seen. I mean this, mean this is all sincerity. The security guards then came in and covered up Epstein didn't kill himself. I'm sorry, you know, this whole thing with the banana and and the shock and the press, it was truly one of the most epic and glorious moments in our generation, in our lives, in history, maybe. It was just such a perfect storm. There's very few perform. There's there's like, look, performance art. I'm usually like, "Mm, yeah, whatever. I get it. But this. Wow. Talk about an epic event. Epic, epic, epic. Let me show you a photo. Because I said I'm not going to bury this lead, but I want to talk to you about art and, and the banana and all this stuff. But wow, 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 wow. Check this out. The duct taped banana at Art Basel is gone and has been replaced with, quote, Epstein didn't kill himself, which security quickly covered up. I don't think, think Giancarlo Sopo, this guy who tweeted it, understood what he said when he said they were covering it up. Oh my God, dude. This is art that nearly brings me to tears. I'm just, I'm just, check this out. Here's a photo and they're like, oh no, somebody wrote Epstein didn't kill himself. And then it's like, oh man, there's the art. And there it is. They're literally covering it up. It's a cover up. This is incredible. Dude, is this not the coolest thing you have ever seen? If this wasn't planned, okay, I want to believe it was. I absolutely want to believe the whole thing was meant to be planned because, because come on, dude, like duct tape and get a banana to the wall. It's so shocking and stupid. Somebody buying it so shocking and, st- and much, much more stupid. Somebody then eats it. Then they write Epstein didn't kill himself. And then the guards covered it up. The guards covered it up. My mind exploded. Wow. Bravo. I felt like I was watching an opera and that was like the crescendo. And I'm just standing up like amazing performance. What an incredible, incredible. Come on, man. So I, I don't know if I have anything more to add to that story. I want, I want to talk to you about Art Basel and explain the whole banana thing. Because I'll tell you this, man. Everybody's had these theories about what it means that someone bought this banana for $120,000. And I'll tell you what. A lot of people are saying it's a scheme. It's a scam. It's money laundering. Yeah, you know, maybe. But no, probably not. And I, 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 have, I have friends who are down there. They go to Art Basel. I have friends who sell paintings who are extremely rich, doing no work. I am not kidding. And I, I, I'm going to enlighten you to the strange world of people with money who perpetuate having money. It's called the nobility. That's what I call it. And I know that you can choose to live in the world of nobles. You can choose. It's, it's, it's not like you can just snap your fingers and walk in, but you kind of can. But to a lot of these people, they will make something, assert its value, and because all of these people are rich, they just, they just spend the money on nonsense. So man, a man is arrested after scrawling Epstein didn't kill himself in red lipstick. Wow. Man, wow, wow, wow. I wish that somebody should put together like a video outlining, like it'd be great if there was footage of this. So I guess it's all just, you know, it all came together, right? Somebody did the banana thing. Somebody decided to buy it. This guy, you know, they were, they were all capitalizing off of the moment. And the real art isn't any of these one piece, not the banana, not the duct tape, not the money, not, not the eating it, none of that. It, it, it was, it is this, this, this moment in time, man, 
So let's talk about it. They say the banana was in fact a work of art by Italian artist Maurizio Catalan, titled Comedian, and sold to a French collector for $120,000. This is possibly one of the stupidest things I have ever heard. It's literally a certificate about the, it's, it's a, uh, I guess the certificate of authenticity says like comedian on it. And that's what he's buying. And the guy signs it. So if you really do want to own the concept of the art that was presented here, that's what it was, that was that sold for. Now, listen, first, some of you may think that is so absurd and stupid. Why would anyone spend that money on it? And I can explain this to you first. Rich people ain't got nothing else to spend money on. No, for real. I've always, I always thought about like, I know, I know these rich people who buy ridiculous, you know, mansions and stuff. And I'm like, but why would you ever need any of that? And they explained to me very simply, because I know people down here. They've said things like, listen, man, like if you had, if you had a million dollars in cash in your hands right now, would you, would you be worried at all about, I don't know, calling an Uber first class, like, you know, calling like an Uber luxury or whatever, or taking a limo that costs, you know, a hundred bucks instead of a cab that costs 30. It's like, that's a good point. To these super rich people who have ridiculous amounts of money, they don't care. It's like, you know, you get, you get paid. Maybe the best way to explain it, because it's hard unless you really do have this kind of money. You get paid on the weekend and you're like, eh, I got a couple hundred bucks for my paycheck. I can go have a beer. But then when you're broke, you're like, dude, I only got a hundred bucks. I'm not buying a $5 beer. That's exactly it. If you have a hundred million dollars, you're like, I'm not spending $5 million on, on a beer. But a $5 beer, you're going to be like, I don't care. A $50,000 beer, you might be like, must be a good beer. There are places in California, for instance, that sell like $50,000 cheeseburgers. This is the thing they do. And they'll put like edible gold on it. It's so dumb. Okay. So first, why would someone buy a banana? It's the certificate. They probably have a ton of money and they're bored and they thought it was funny or they liked the art. And they said, I want this artist to sign the proof that the concept of the art was sold to me. So I own it. Basically, then you can then sell that certificate as the proof of the concept and all that stuff. But let me explain to you how art actually works. See, here's the thing. In one of these conversations I have with these very rich people and some of the poorer people who are friends, like I say poor, but they're still rich. And I was like, why would someone buy a $50 million property or like a $10 million property? Like, how could you live in that? It's just, it seems like you'd get lost. I'm, I'm kidding. But dude, I like when you get older, you understand utility costs. So these people buying these like 30,000 square foot mansions for like 10, $20 million. I'm like, dude, how do you pay for the heat alone? And it's simple. They say, listen, you don't want liquid cash sitting around. And if it comes to bankruptcy, they're not going to seize your home. So if you file for bankruptcy, you keep your house. Once everything's done, you still have all this wealth, right? But more importantly, if you're sitting on a ton of cash, you've got to spend, invest it, so that the value can be traded and passed on. And there it is. This explains paintings and their ever-increasing value in art. And this is what was explained to me. First, they're absolutely art collectors, people who like art and like weird things, who are rich and buy weird things. Fine, I get that. But I knew somebody whose job was basically like once every other year, they would facilitate a, 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 the sale of a painting. So these super rich people will have, say, like a rare uh, Manet or something. I don't know. I don't know anything about paintings. Let's say it's worth five million bucks. Why is it worth five million bucks? It could be a really old, unique piece of art. Fine. The real reason is because it's a store of value for rich people. So it's not absurd to put five million dollars into a painting that's been valued at five million dollars and appraisers will only ever say is going up. 
if the painting can't be replicated and you bought it for five and you won't part with it unless you get a return, congratulations. It is an object of extreme scarcity that can only go up in value because you refuse to let it go. Now, in the event the market tanks and nobody has that money, you could argue the value would go down. Not only that, if it does, you can write, you can depreciate your assets and claim you've lost this or sell it at a loss. It's complicated. But I know, I know some people make a phone call, say, you got any paintings you're trying to offload? And the rich people have no time for this. These CEOs, these executives, these nobles. And they'll be like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I spent 500000 on this painting. Uh, if you can flip it for seven, you know, I'll cut you 50 grand. And they go, okay, make a few more phone calls and say, I got a painting. It's, it was, it was sold, last sold for five. They're looking for seven. And someone will be like, yeah, no problem. Because they're looking for somewhere to store the value because the US dollar could, could inf- could devo- will devalue over time. The painting will not. It's that simple. And so then you have these like low tier nobles who, who act like, you know, brokers and they'll get paid 50 grand and just sit back and that's it. You know, so in, in terms of like the do it once every other year, it's because they'll, they'll facilitate a painting for a few million bucks and get a couple hundred grand off of that deal. And then what happens is I sell my painting for a million. You buy it for a million five. Two years later, you, you sell it from a million five to, to two and you make 500. Thus, all they're really doing is it's handing a piece of paper back and forth that says this holds X amount of dollars between us. It's really all it is. So in this instance with the banana thing, I think the 120K was legit. I think he, apparently this is a famous artist who hadn't worked in a really long time. I don't know too much about him. And this was like a big deal because it was like, it was meant to be absurd. It was, it was, it's, it's, it's absurdist what it is, right? I'm not, I'm not an art specialist. People are going to tell me I'm wrong about what kind of art it was, but no, but it was, it was, it was like this guy comes out of work and he's like, there you go. I put a banana on the wall. And it's like, I want that because it's going to draw a lot of attention. It's going to get a lot of press. That to me has this much value. And now that certificate can likely be sold or traded again. I don't know. But anyway, let me wrap this up. I don't need to go on forever. The Epstein, covering up the Epstein is the greatest art. You know, the dude who wrote the Epstein thing, I don't know who gets credit for that. The security guards, the exhibit, that concept of what happened. I'm not kidding when I was like, wow, bravo. Seriously, bravo. It is, that was amazing. Epstein didn't kill himself and the guards rushed to cover it up. Ah, how amazing is that? Wow. Okay. Um, I got a couple more segments coming up for you in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you shortly. I have a feeling this video is going to get in trouble on YouTube because we're talking about adult content, adult internet visual and uh, uh, content. And there's been this big debate going on. And the conservative free speech world is being torn asunder where conservatives, moral activists saying we must have a ban on adult content. I can't say the P word. It's censored here. And there's been some back and forth with conservatives fighting with each other, fighting with libertarians. And and, and it's a really complicated debate. The general idea is adult content is bad for you. They say it, it, it causes, uh, we, we, there was recently a study that came out that said it, it changes your, your prefrontal cortex, keeps humans in a juvenile state. It uh, harms the sanctity of love and things like this. So it's, it's, it's a really complicated issue. But let me, I, I don't want to explain to you what adult content is or does. I'm just going to talk to you strictly about my opinions and what's happening. On the screen, we have a tweet from Joey Salads. He's quoting Gab. Now, Gab is a free speech website. However, Gab has called for the banning of adult 
content sites. Joey Sal's response was, social media website who faces massive censorship believes in big government regulations and bans on the internet. Gab responds, conservative candidate for Congress is actually just a cringe YouTube e-celeb libertarian. <laughs> I'm laughing at the libertarian comment, like, you're not a conservative, you're just a libertarian. Uh, Joey's response, why are you being a dick? What have I ever done to you? You're seriously acting like a liberal. Hey, Joey, full stop. Liberal? No, 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 no. A leftist, maybe, okay? I'm a liberal. Liberals believe in free speech and have a lot in common with libertarians. If uh, He's right that Gab is acting more liberal because the, the, one of the big differences between a liberal and a libertarian is the, is the extent to which government plays a role in protecting society. However, this is socially conservative, not socially liberal. So he's not acting like a liberal. He's acting like a conservative, dude. Liberal does not. I'm, I'm so tired of people conflating liberal and leftist. Please don't. Okay, leftists don't like liberals. They hate us. And liberals agree with you on free speech in these things. Surprisingly, I'm, I'm more on the libertarian side of the adult kind of debate, but we'll, we'll get to this. And uh, as always, I'm correct in my opinion, and I'm going to give you the correct opinion on the adult internet content debate because Sargon has chimed in, taken over middle of the road approach, saying it's a good argument. And then you've had some libertarian types saying freedom for all and conservative types saying ban it and execute the pornography. Oh, I said, <laughs> I said the word YouTube's going to ban me. I, uh, ban, ban the people who make the content or, or execute the people who make the content. Let's read. Gab says truth hurts. Joey's response. If you only spent this time on your platform and not Twitter, you might actually stand a change at retaining a user or two. Woo. Now we got Flame war between Joey and Gab. What's happening? Gab says this is marketing. We added 4,000 users this weekend, 2.1 million unique users across our products last month. How many donors did you get this weekend to your campaign? Joey said, wow, 4K, the next Facebook is right around the corner. Maybe one day you will make your crypto money back. Okay, okay, okay. Enough flame war, guys. Let's talk about the real issue. First and foremost, adult content should not be banned. Sorry, but that is the correct response. Now, before all the conservatives who are on the side of Gab or, say, Matt Walsh freak out. I, wanna, I, I, I wanted to be straight up front with you and tell you my opinion, but I have a lot of caveats. See, I am a social liberal. I'm not a classical liberal. But classical liberals and social liberals are very, very close together, okay? Social liberals are more likely to believe that the government can be used as a tool for good for social issues. And so there's actually a decent uh, ideological connection between conservatives and social liberals that classical liberals don't share between the two. It's interesting, right? Here's the thing. Social, liberals, social liberalism typically is more like, hey, racism is bad. Okay, the government can play a role in correcting this. And I think the answer is yes, they can. It's very, very complex. It's complicated. as I normally say. It's a complicated issue, right? When it comes to adult content, it should be legal. You should be allowed to produce it. But we should have, we should have restrictions on how kids can, can get to it. Now we do, right? The problem is that what do they do? They say, you better put in your real age and confirm that this is the correct age and kids can just do whatever they want. So let me read from you. Let me, let me read you a, a, a Matt Walsh tweet. Somebody said, if I film police abusing someone, the police abuse is not free speech, but my content is, right? And so Matt's response was, you're saying that the content isn't the free speech. Or I'm sorry, the content is, but the performers engaging in, in this act are not free speech. It's a complicated problem. Anyway, I, I, I wanted to highlight this because I thought it was an interesting thought. There's a really, really good argument someone uh, 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 tweeted at me when I commented that it should be legal. They said, we don't allow people to do these things in public, right? Like in public, you can't bang your girlfriend or whatever. And yes, that's true. 
So why on the internet, which is now a digital virtual town center where we can all freely mill about, should kids be able to just blindly walk into people doing these things in front of them? And that's a really, really good point. And I completely agree. But I've always thought that was the case. Me thinking that people should be allowed to produce it and people should be allowed to consume it has nothing to do with how we control for it. As somebody who is liberal, but not overly libertarian, I'm, I'm pretty libertarian, to be honest. But I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the left. I'm on, you know, I believe the government can play a role and, 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 and issue in certain kinds of protection. It should not be criminal, nor should drug use, right? Nor should alcohol consumption. One of the biggest problems we have, and we got, we got to think about this stuff, right? There was a, there was a story that I, I, I read a while ago because I used to, I used, when I was in my er, you know, early 20s, we'd be partying. Apparently, there was a college party, and these kids were drunk. And one kid died of alcohol poisoning. He was 18, and the reason they didn't call 911 is because they were worried they would get in trouble because it was illegal. And that's, that's it's, it's sad, but that's reality, man. People will be overdosing on some drug, and they'll be like, don't call for help because they'll punish us. And that's, I have a huge problem with that, okay? What we should do... If somebody's like ODing, they should be like somebody who is ODing should be granted immunity if they call 911 from possession, something like that. I I, I know that that idea has to be fleshed out much, much better. But think about it this way, like not protecting the dealers, not protecting the abusers. If somebody is just self-administering and then their friend is overdosing, they should both be immune from prosecution, but not from court mandated rehabilitation. Like, dude, the point is to help people, not freak them out. And so I tell you what, any kind of repercussion on like drug, drug use may stop someone from calling from, no, man, I don't, they'll make me stop. Well, you should, court mandated treatment should be a thing. And I don't think locking people up in prison really does much. I mean, it forces detox, I guess it can help some instances. Yes, but there's a lot of challenges, right? And falling on the libertarian side, I think what we need regulated use of vices. I think that's the way to do it. Let me, let me jump to Cassandra. Someone asked, where do you stand on adult content? And she said, I'm not sure. I don't think it's healthy. And I completely agree it's not. ID verification should 100% be a thing at the very least. I don't believe a ban would work, though, just like the drug warden. I also think obscenity laws would be more more likely used to go after people for hate speech than adult content. Completely agree. Completely agree with Cassandra on this one. We do not want to empower people to determine what is degenerate or or, uh, inappropriate because the SJWs have the exact same argument for hate speech. It is not truly speech. Now I get, you know, Matt Walsh and others have a really great point about like, dude, someone doing it isn't speaking. They're engaging in an act like you punching someone isn't, isn't speaking. We, we, we make certain actions illegal. However, the difference there and the challenge I've really thought about this is that adult activities are, are consensual, but we still don't allow that to be, be displayed in public for a lot of reasons. Decency laws, I guess. Yeah, it's a challenge, man. Why should we empower someone to tell us what is or isn't decent? That's a, that's a rough point. But for the time being, I am not going to assert what I think, you know, should or shouldn't be in regards to uh, what's decent or not. Outside of, you know, like political arguments are very different from engaging in adult acts. I'll put it this way too. Like you can't take a dump in the middle of the street either. You know, you, you can't, you can't even be naked, right? And sometimes people do. Anyway, the point is they will, if, 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 if you ban adult content, they will use the same logic to go after anybody else who says naughty words. It's the same logic, and I don't think it's the right thing to do. However, 
I like Cassandra's idea of ID verification. She says, I use ID verification to order wine from Postmates. Same thing. And I think we have our answer. Listen, telling people they can't do something results in a black market and results in criminal abuse. It's a fact. Okay. So if you ban the people who make it, then people will only make it in dark, seedy corners of the world that can be really dangerous for a lot of people. I don't think that's the answer. I do think it's bad for people, but a lot of things are bad for people. Man, like candy bars are bad for people. You know, so, so, so I understand the argument that everything could be bad to a certain degree, and we decide as a community the threshold. So I respect the conservative argument in that regard. And I also respect the, the liberal argument in regards to speech. Society determines what is or isn't acceptable. But however, as much as I understand the point you're trying to make, I fall on we got to respect the individual's subjective, you know, um, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's what it's really all about. And if somebody is happy sitting in a dark corner of their basement, cranking it to some nonsense, you know, about, I don't know, what, 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 what was that Eichenwald guy looking up, like octopuses or something? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a weird, weird uh, concept. But, but do your thing, man. Do your thing. Right? I understand their, their lines. I can respect the, the, the laws we have in place right now. We've actually been really lax on like women going topless and stuff. And I think, I think that's a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not even a big fan of like, I, I, I personally find it kind of weird that we stigmatize the human body as much as we do. I'm not, I'm not all about this like body positivity, like you should be able to be fit. No, be healthy. But also kind of like, dude, we're all like, clothes are a later in like evolution thing. You know, it's like, I'm cool with wearing clothes. I think they look great. But I, I personally find it kind of strange that it's like humans have bodies. Men and women have these parts. I don't really see the problem with knowing they exist and seeing them for me, you know. But that's, that's very different being nude from like engaging in adult acts in front of children and things like that. I think there is an important aspect of controlling what children can get access to. And that's very different from the freedom of an adult to choose for themselves. So there, 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 there is no clean way to implement this because let's be honest. Cigarettes, kids find them. Pot, kids find them. Alcohol, kids find them, man. But I certainly think we, we could do with some laws that control, like an ID verification. I think that that's probably the healthy compromise for everybody. I've seen some pretty crazy conservative arguments about this. But in the end, it should be legal, free to consume. But I don't think we're doing enough to stop kids from getting it. And it's screwing up people's brains. Like, I mean that. There's a lot of good things from it, from this kind of stuff that can help people who are really messed up. You know, keep them, keep, keep, some people should be kept in the dark corner, cranking it to weird octopus stuff like that. I can walt guy. Like, you know what, man? Like, you, you just go in the corner. Like, the, like, just stay away from the everybody else. If that's what's keeping you there and you're not hurting anybody, that's a good thing, right? But he could still get access to his octopus stuff. You know, I can could still get access to whatever that stuff he was watching was. He just punches an ID and does an ID verification like, like Cassandra does for her wine. Then the kids are going to try and do it. And it's going to be like, Wah, you can't do it. Sure, they'll buy fake IDs. But the point is, with security, you never expect a bulletproof vest to stop every single bullet. You know, even, even with like, you know, level what, like 3A or 4 armor with like ceramic, ceramic plates, you're going to take one shot from like a rifle round and that's it. So, you know, first of all, it's only protecting like your real core vital organs. So you're still vulnerable everywhere, everywhere else. And it's not perfect. I think an ID check really does make the most sense. I give to, I, I, I credit Cassandra on this one. But uh, I, will, I will warn the conservatives arguing for outright bans and more heavy-handed laws like, dude, you can't take that approach, man. That's, that's, that's going to weaponize the SJWs. And guess what? They've got the institutions. They will turn that around on you so fast. You'll be, you'll be spinning in circles as everything gets wrapped up tight and you lose all your freedoms. 
That's why we got to respect the freedoms. But we do have to, as, as not a libertarian, as a social liberal. So I think like this is where the government comes in and we do agree on a set of standards and rules to protect certain things. I'm going to end with one important point, though. You don't have to agree with me, man. I don't, I don't, I'm fine with not agreeing with anybody. But the big difference that's very obvious here is we're seeing the moral foundation split between the liberty-minded individuals and the sanctity-minded individuals. Now, a sixth foundation, liberty, was theorized by Jonathan Haidt in The Righteous Mind, chapter 8, in response to the need to differentiate between proportionality, fairness, and the objections he had received from conservatives and libertarians. It's a really, really interesting point. And the foundations are really fascinating to me. I got to keep this one short, so I'll wrap it up here and just say this. I am a, li- I'm a I am, I am, my fa- moral foundations, when I took a test, are care, fairness, and liberty. Uh, loyalty, authority, and sanctity were decently high, higher than the average liberal. But that, that makes sense. I'm like socially liberal, kind of moderate. Liberals tend to only be care and fairness. They don't care if they pin you down and force you to do what they want, so long as it's balanced in the end. It's very robotic and drone-like. Conservatives follow all the foundations equally. So sanctity is much stronger among conservatives, abhorrence to disgusting things, foods, actions, opposite of degradation, degenerates. And there it is. They're very sanctity minded. Uh, and I can agree with that, too, because I can sympathize. But liberty to me is one of the most important. Uh, honestly, though, I think liberty was my highest foundation. I did a test on it. I posted it. But my care and fairness are really high. And I think as somebody who truly believes in care and fairness, the, 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 for me, that extended to conservatives to understand them, and that helped inform me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, this was supposed to be the second set for the 615 slot. I'm going to move this up so I can keep it a little longer because I think this is really important stuff. Libertarians are almost exclusively liberty-minded. They don't care about fairness, care, loyalty, authority relative to other, uh, you know, other groups. Liberty is across the board. It's really amazing. I was looking at a chart, and like libertarians score really low on all foundations, but liberty is ridiculously high. They're basically like, telling the other person, you do what you want, just don't hurt somebody else. And that like aligns perfectly, right? For me, care and fairness, I look at people being abused, snake oil. I look at the media lying and manipulating. And so my care and fairness extends to conservatives. And I'm like, it's not fair. The media is lying about Trump and his supporters and everything. That's, that's messed up. And I also do have a decent amount of loyalty, authority, and sanctity, though not nearly as high as conservatives. That means when it comes to authority, I'm willing to respect, you know, somebody who's, who's a leader and going to try and focus on doing something, you know, important because of a position they're in while still saying, I challenge you and I'm, I've got my eye on you. Loyalty extends so far as you're willing to be loyal back. That's why I love dogs, though. And sanctity, I, tu- I truly understand, but try to balance with liberty. Meaning when it comes to the argument about adult content, maybe freedom's got to be, you know, higher on the, on the chart. But I will end with one final thought. Liberty, care, fairness on their own will cease to exist. In my opinion, they only exist so long as loyalty, authority, and sanctity are held to a higher standard. And this is the importance of of conservatives in society and the balance between them and those who seek freedom. The freedom-minded individuals, the care and fairness-minded individuals, will make things better over time so long as those who are loyal respect authority and understand the importance of sanctity and purity are there to defend the system that allows the progress. This is the challenge. Too much of this idea of fairness results in a collapse of the system. Too much freedom, the system collapses. Without the, you know, I, I, look, at, I look at the conservatives and it's no, no wonder they're very pro-police and pro-military. 
That's what's securing the system in the first place that allows the degenerates inside to be dancing around naked, doing drugs and, and doing whatever they want. It's only because we have a secured free society that respects and is loyal that we are able to have this freedom. That's a big challenge. It is. You know, outside of this, this, this uh, bubble we're in, it's not so, it's not so, it's not so great. I'll, I'll wrap it up. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around. Next segment's going to be tomorrow at 10 a.m. And I will see you all then. The new Ghostbusters trailer dropped and it was awesome. Okay, I say awesome. So I'll give it like a 7.5 out of 10. Like eight may be too high, seven's too low. But the new Ghostbusters trailer, it's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Apparently, it is a direct sequel to Ghostbusters 2. And if I, I, I'm pretty sure everyone got this from that. From uh, it's uh, uh, Spangler's, it's it's Egon's kids and grandkids, I guess, and they like Paul Rudd's in it. Ghosts haven't been seen in thirty years, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Whoa, what's happening?" I am so excited for this. This is the sequel we deserved. Ghostbusters twenty sixteen was a disaster, and this dude, NME journalist James McMahon says, "F that Ghostbusters trailer. You don't reward regressive fanboys." Aw, poor baby. Are you mad they made a good Ghostbusters trailer because it doesn't fit your politics? This is insane to me. I want to read from this. Before I, I'll I'll show you his tweet. He says, you don't reward regressive fanboys, many of whom created an atmosphere of racist, misogynistic, misogynist toxicity that led to a leading lady leaving this very platform by making the very film they wanted in the first place. Oh, guess what? Businesses make things to sell. I love the ice cream analogy. This guy is screaming, why are they making chocolate fudge ice cream? Those people who wanted it are bad people. Because the business doesn't care if you're a good or bad person. It cares if you want to buy a product. We don't live in a moral capitalist system. We live in a capitalist system. And the problem with you is that your morals and mine don't align. I like this movie. I actually thought 2016 Ghostbusters was really bad. But I'm, I, I, I really like Kristen Wiig. You know, I, I, uh, Kristen Wiig and I'm forgetting the uh, Kate McKinnon. I think she's rad. Um, Melissa McCarthy is okay. I'm not a huge fan. And Leslie Jones is okay as well. I've got nothing against them. I, I think Kristen Wiig's pretty awesome. Like, I, I like the stuff that she tends to be in. And she's going to be in another movie I am ridiculously excited for. The fact remains. Let me, let me tell you something in this strange world. Ghostbusters 2016 was so bad. There was too much girl power instead of just making the characters be strong. It's my biggest problem, dude. The problem with Ghostbusters wasn't that a bunch of misogynists just hate women. Don't be stupid. The reality was Ghostbusters 2016 was, it was like a circle of people patting themselves in the back. I'll try to keep this one family friendly considering the content. It's it's, it's, It's all of these feminists patting each other on the back. No, it's like Jerry from Rick and Morty all shaking each other's hands. And it's like, dude, that's not interesting. The characters make no sense. They're not strong simply because they're like, <laughs> yeah, like, no, 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 no. Just have them do their thing. Kind of like another movie, Wonder Woman. So this, there's been a bunch of other tweets. They say, Mc, uh, they say McMahon would not be alone in his opinion. Matthew Rodriguez, the editor of The Body, stated, LMAO, of course, Ghostbusters Afterlife is about family and lineage and legacy and all these other effing white patriarchal American values. It's literally a reaction to the idea of four women, including one black woman. The franchise must assert its real predecessor. Uh, he said, uh, sorry, uh, I meant successor. Are you joking, dude? It's 30 years. Okay, Harold, Harold Ramis, was that, was, am I getting his name wrong? He passed away. So they literally ha- can't, what are they going to do? So having it be his family finding his own gear, old gear makes sense. But I now would like to present to you two bits of evidence that shatter 
the social justice anti-man-boy narrative. They say, these movies are only failing because the man-boys just can't stand a strong woman. How would you like some hard proof? First, epic trailer, Black Widow. I am so furious. Marvel, how could you not make this film sooner? Seriously, man. Scarlett Johansson is incredible. She's a rad dude. She's a great actress. She's beautiful, charismatic. She's great. She, she's, she's got talent, like to, to an extreme degree. She is epic in, in uh, and, uh, Infinity War. I liked Infinity War more than Endgame. I was upset when Captain Marvel was announced and when they were doing this stuff with Brie Larson because Brie Larson is, look, man, it is what it is. She's snooty. You know, she was, she was talking on, on TV about having a list of people she hated or something, like she was texting another actor about how they hate people, and it was really controversial. She is just a mean girl, okay? She is like mean, Rachel McAdams in Mean Girls, okay? And Rachel McAdams is actually a really nice person, I hear. And so, but that character where she's like, you are such a fugly, you know, slut. I'm gonna get in trouble for saying slut. Um, but yeah, like Brie Larson was just snooty, man. The Black Widow trailer drops. Look at that. 1.4 million likes to 38,000 dislikes. Who liked this? Who disliked this trailer? It's epic. Now, I, I can concede. Okay. I'm upset it's a prequel. This movie should have come out a long, long time ago. I'm, I mean a long time ago. I mean like phase one. Okay. Like they introduced Black Widow and Iron Man. That should have been her launching off point for a movie on her own. She's Scarlett Johansson, dude. She's not like some bit part actor. She is a top tier A-list celebrity. In fact, I think she was like the highest paid celebrity or one of them. So give her her own movie, man. Black Widow's awesome. And this trailer looks amazing. I was stoked to see, um, what is it? Red, Red Guard, the dude from Stranger Things. And he's like out of shape and old. I'm like, dude, this looks awesome. I'm stoked for this. Okay. I'm a, I'm a fan of Black Widow in the movies. I think she adds to all of these super powered people or people in crazy suits. It was, it's rad to have her and Hawkeye as like regular people with high skill. I love that. Interestingly, interestingly though, in a lot of the Marvel movies, um, the characters don't have innate superpowers, right? It's like, you know, you've got Falcon who's wearing a suit. You got Iron Man, War Machine wearing suits. You've got uh, Captain, well, I guess Captain America has innate superpowers to an extent, but there's, there's very little of like actual superpowers. They've been adding more to it. But it's funny, you know, Family Guy made fun of Black Widow. They were like, what's your power? You kick. And then they're all like, we can do that too. It's like, no, 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 no. Master Assassin, please. Like, it's, it's cool to have superheroes mixing between, like, psychological thrillers with action and secret agents, as well as superpower. That's one of the things they did really well in, in Winter Soldier. But I got I to I move on because I'm going to shatter that narrative, okay? Did you see the Wonder Woman 1984 trailer? This trailer deserves an award. This is one of the best trailers I have ever seen. Dude, do not under... I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. The, the remix of Blue Monday... You, you guys know the song Blue Monday, right? They have like orchestral composition interlacing in with Blue Monday. They, they have gunshots to the beat and then it's slow motion and she hits the bullet and I'm just like, this is awesome! The, the Max Lord, when he's like walking and smiling, and it's like, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, dude, this is so cool. I'm, well, my only disappointment is that I know, okay, this trailer is cut like a music video to the beat. Look, at she got, she's wearing the golden eagle armor. So amazing. And uh, I know that the movie's not going to be nearly as like fun and bouncy with the, with the song. But dude, the 80s style, the music, the composition, 
I'm really, in- I, I, dude, this trailer is epic. And look at this, 362,000 likes, 11,000 dislikes. It's uh, number one on trending, was released just yesterday. It's already got 7.5 million views. Black Widow was a week ago with 33 million views. Uh-oh, the narrative, I can hear it falling apart. Why? Because the fans love Wonder Woman and the fans love Black Widow. Oh, snap. How can that be if, every, if, if these misogynists just hate women? No. Let me tell you, man. Ghostbusters was too busy patting itself on the back. The, the only, the, they, they tried creating this, like, caricature of, uh, of Hemsworth as, like, this moron. You don't need to do that. Check out Wonder Woman, dude. Chris Pine, badass. Wonder Woman, badass. And, and Wonder Woman is the lead, the hero, the strength. And Chris Pine is the support behind her, but still a badass. That's what's, it's, it's, it's like, dude, I don't care if Chris Pine was a bumbling fool or not. The point is, write good characters, write a good story, make it compelling. Make real motivations. You know what's awesome about the first Wonder Woman? I've said, I've said this before. Diana is an idealist. Chris Pine is Steve, whatever his last name is, a realist. And, that was, and they were juxtaposed where he's like, no, people can be bad. And she's like, no, people are good. We got to stop war. And I'm like, that was awesome. They were both really strong in their own right. This dude, a gritty soldier fighting for what he believes in. You know, Diana of Themyscira, a demigod, half god or whatever you want to, you know, whatever it is. And she's the hero fighting for her idealistic world, coming to terms with the fact that the world is more complicated than she thought. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. It made her growth legitimate. It justified her strength. It showed her challenges, the realization of her, of her power. It was really well done. Not a perfect movie, no, but it was a great job. This trailer, bam, oh, amazing. You know what, man? The fans deserve this. You, look, I, I have no respect, okay, for the, the people who go on Twitter and just harass and insult, like, Brie Larson and, and, and other people. I get it, man. I think Brie Larson is snooty. I think she's condescending. And I think that really turned people off. I think she was not... You now, my first criticism for her in Captain Marvel was not that, like, oh, no, feminism. I was like, no, 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 she's the wrong choice, dude. Like, Robin Wright would have been way better for Captain Marvel, okay? And they could have... And Robin Wright being older... And I, and I mean that with no disrespect, you know, she's an older actress, but she's established. She would have been a way much, much better Captain Marvel, in my opinion. She's tougher, grittier, stronger, taller even. Brie Larson is a small, frail, squeaky woman. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, I'm just describing her as like, she's got a, 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 a higher pitch voice. She's much, much smaller. She's not like physically built or anything. Robin Wright is commanding, you know, so I, I don't know if that was the perfect choice. I just thought on the top of my head. She was a bad fit for this. The whole, the whole thing felt shoehorned and political, and they tried capitalizing off of girl power. The commercial said, with her, and then an A and an O appears, so it says, a hero, and it's like, dude, we get it, man, okay? We like movies with good characters, with good stories that, that make us feel emotion. You know, like, in this trailer, you see somehow she's reunited with Chris Pine's character, and you're like, whoa, how does it happen? You see that evil grin from Max Thor. What's he doing? And they got Kristen Wiig in this. That's the point I wanted to end with. You want to rag on Ghostbusters. The trailer was awesome. Okay. I, the Wonder Woman trailer I've watched like 15 times. I kid you not. I'm stoked on this. I love the Blue Monday remix. Kristen Wiig is in this movie and she's great in the trailer and she's going to play uh, Cheetah, Chitara. I'm not, I got to admit, I'm much bigger on Marvel, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of DC comics, but I grew up on Marvel. I actually do like DC more, but, um, but yeah, Kristen Wiig is in it. And she's great in the trailer. And I'm stoked she's in this. 
uh-oh, are they going to come out and try claiming that the, the misogynists are going to hate on Kristen Wiig? No, the reality is Ghostbusters was bad. It was really bad, okay? And, and Wonder Woman was great, and Hunger Games was great, and Alien was great, and there's all these movies with women, female leads that are great. And now we got Black Widow, fans love it, and we got Wonder Woman, fans love it, uh-oh. I'll say uh-oh a few more times. Wired staff producer Adam Lance Garcia would note he's intrigued by the first trailer, but would have to justify that opinion by writing. This, of course, is not to discount Ghostbusters 2016, a film that was unfairly attacked by the worst kind of humans. No, it's a bad movie. All right. Uh, the Verge's Julie Alexander made it clear she disliked the trailer. What? The new Ghostbusters trailer looks awful. No, it doesn't. And I'm sorry that we keep making Finn Wolfhard play Finn Wolfhard. That I agree with. Only way I can imagine enjoying this is if I imagine Paul Rudd is Scott Lang and Ant-Man is just like, F it, time travel's real, why not ghosts? I disagree. The trailer was great. Not, not nearly as good as Wonder Woman or Black Widow, but I enjoyed it. I was like, cool, man, cool, you know, nostalgia, woo Ghostbusters. Um, but yeah, this person says, the reason Ghostbusters 2020 looks better than 2016 isn't about politics or gender. It's about the fact the new film seems like a love letter made by a group of fans and the 2016 film, 2016 film felt like something they made because they had, uh, they had, a, they all had a free summer. I agree. Look at this: Wonder Woman, Ghostbusters, Black Widow trailers, all in a few days. The common thread: Studios are learning from the disastrous 2017 and 18 experiments. Don't screw with franchises. Don't mess with tone. Please, please, customers, not critics. They're catching on. I'm so excited for all of these movies. I, I, I will dare say. You don't, you don't understand. This Wonder Woman trailer deserves an award. This is one of the best trailers for a movie I've ever seen. I am scared that the movie will not, will, won't be as nearly as fun and paced the same way as with the music, but I'm hoping it is. This trailer deserves an award. This may be the movie I am looking forward to in 2020 more than any other movie, hands down. And so, so let, let that shatter the stupid narrative of making a bad movie. So, but here, here's the thing. I, I, I got to wrap this up. I do. I, I got to keep it short. Why won't they celebrate this? Why won't they celebrate this amazing, these amazing movies? Black Widow and, and Wonder Woman. I don't see articles where they're like, this is an amazing you know, win for, for women and stuff. Nope. Okay, you can take credit. I'm okay with it. Please, feminists, tell me how, how awesome this movie is, how they did it right. They made a great character who's strong and how everyone loves it. And I'm going to shake your hand and be like, high five. Nailed it. They're not doing it. Why? Because they want outrage. They have to be angry. That's the point. They're selling clicks. They're grifting. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly.